Welcome to Carve Your Own Fucking Path, the podcast. A podcast about badass women who tapped into their clarity and courage to live a life on their own terms. I'm Willow, your host, success coach, and NLP practitioner. In each episode, you'll hear solo shows with me or candid interviews with women who boldly stepped into the unknown. Expect juicy topics like how to reinvent yourself after an identity crisis or near-death experience, how to manifest love and your career, benefits of solo travel, and how to harness your mind so you can create whatever you want in life. Join me as I explore these topics and unconventional journeys of women who have ventured outside their comfort zones to create epic lives on their own terms. My mission for this podcast is to inspire your inner risk taker to live courageously so you can start taking action today towards carving your own path. I'm so excited to have you here. All right, on to the show. Today's episode brings me so much joy because I am chatting with Katie McKenna, who is an aggressive chaser of joy. This woman is a professional speaker, a life coach, and best-selling author of her memoir, How to Get Run Over by a Truck. You guys, you have to read this book. It is such an honest and raw story about being faced with your mortality at a really young age. Katie shares about how she was on this path. She was focused, driven, and 100% sure that she was in control. And then one day, it all changed in a split second. I can't wait for you guys to meet Katie and hear her story. Katie lives in Brooklyn with her husband, and she is quarantining in Vermont. All right, you guys, here's Katie McKenna. Thank you so much for having me. So delighted to be here. Thank you. So what's funny is, okay, so your book, um, I'm just going to jump right to that. I have handed it out to many people. And even today I was mentioning to a friend, I said, I'm interviewing Katie who wrote the book. She's like, I'm reading that book right now. So get out of here. That is so nice. Thank you for that. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So it's such an amazing story. And well, why don't you tell us a little bit or a lot about, you know, your story, but also I want to go way back, kind of your path, like childhood, you know, before your path took a very different turn. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, to like, to kind of start off just about like what, what the book is based on sort of, is that a great, good place to start? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Great. Yeah. So about, um, 12 years ago, I was getting up to go for an early morning, um, bike ride. And I was finishing up a 10 mile ride and, um, I was at a stoplight and I indicated that I was going to make a, a, tr- a right turn. And there was a truck on my left hand side and then a car behind it. Um, neither one had their indicator on. And I had indicated I was, I saw this sunrise, like just peeking out, um, on my right hand side, it was like starting to rise over these low brick buildings where I live in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And I thought that that would be kind of the perfect way to start my day was Mm -hmm. to get to see this gorgeous sunrise. And so I, I like saw the, the light go green and I made my right turn wide and easy. And unfortunately the truck that was on my left-hand side didn't see me, mm-hmm. didn't see that I indicated. And, um, and I missed the cab of the truck by only a few inches, but the, um, the back part of the truck, I was run over by the first four wheels of an 18 wheeler 
and then there was a break and then I was run over by the second set of four wheels mm -hmm. of, of the truck. Um, luckily the driver stopped, but he never came back to kind of see what had happened to me. Um, I stayed conscious during the entire event, which is Insane. crazy and super different. I know I like, I, you oh. had that sort of like idea in my mind of being like, if I close my eyes, then that meant that I would die. Um, oh. I was picked up by EMTs, rushed into emergency surgery where I asked the doctor if I was going to live. And she told me probably not. Um, and oh, then I was intubated for 10 hours of emergency surgery. I know, isn't it? It's just crazy. I mean, like, and the thing that's interesting is I've done like the research, right. And that that's doctors are supposed to do that because if they oh. someone, think someone is gravely injured, they want for them to let go and not suffer and not struggle. Isn't that crazy? So they're trained to tell you the, I guess the worst case scenario. Absolutely. Totally. So when you, when you, okay. So you were 24. Yes. Right. So yes. you're just, yeah. Young twenties living in Brooklyn. Um, and we'll take us back just right before then. Like, what did you, what were you, what path were you on? Yeah. Well, I was, I just started a job in finance literally the month before. Mm. Uh, my, my crash was October 2nd. And September 1st was the first day of my working in finance. I come from a Wall Street family. So my dad worked on Wall Street, my uncles, my cousins, my brother, like everybody. And I had been doing, before that, I'd been doing um, nonprofit, like catering sales, so random, but I was an event planner and an event manager. And I'd been pretty unhappy. And my dad was like, why don't you just like, just work in finance? Like, you're, you like sales, you'll be great, it'll be great. Like, mm -hmm. and I wasn't you know, it wasn't nuts about it, but I, I did like it. Like I liked it. I liked the people. I liked what I was doing. I was like, I can do a job in finance. Like I can do this. And, um, and yeah, that was, that was what was happening in my life. And I thought I was like, okay, I'm going to be an internal wholesaler. Like I will become an external wholesaler. I'll make tons of money. I'll like live my dream. I'll probably get a nice place on Long Island. I'll live the dream. I'll live the dream. And, um, and yeah, and, and things, and I was dating, um, someone who was, he and I were best friends from high school and we had started dating. We'd been dating for like, I think about two years at that point. Okay. Um, yeah. So like I kind of had, I was like, he and I are going to get married. I'm going to work in finance. I was like, I'll be married by 27. I'll be ready to go. Like, you know, life, I got, I got life by the, by the, church, <laughs> yeah. you know, so you had it all planned out. Oh, of course, absolutely. I knew exactly what was going on. I was okay. completely sure of myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that is your personality. Just planned yeah. out, ambitious, clearly. Okay. Big time planner, very ambitious, wanting to be successful, but like also an incredibly anxious person. And so mm -hmm. I think that's why I kind of was, was really, really did not like change, really was like nervous about anything unknown. Mm -hmm. Um, did everything that I did, everything that I could to make sure that I wouldn't get hurt or that things wouldn't get out of control, you know? Yeah, definitely. And what, what was your idea of success back then? Mm. I think it was probably financial. If I'm being honest with myself, I wish that that wasn't completely true. I had worked for a nonprofit and I wanted to do good. Um, but it was one of being like such a stressful job and I worked like crazy and made very little money. And I was like, this isn't what I want. Um, and I think that like, I saw other people in my life, their titles getting better, yeah. their salaries increasing. They weren't struggling. I was like, this was great. And also interestingly enough, another thing that I did in tandem with the, with the day 
day job that I had was that I also worked as a stand-up comedian. So like did that, really? those two things. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I did both. I was like, okay, well, I can just work in finance, but then I'll just like make jokes at night. Like, it'll be great. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So you were already, I mean, putting yourself out there as in a speaking role, I guess you could say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So take us back. So you're in the hospital, the doctor's saying, high chance that you won't survive this. Yeah. Um, can you remember, oh, you were very descriptive in, in the book. You know, I remember you could hear the noise of the truck, you know, as it yeah. was rolling over. And then you were in the hospital for a, a year. I was in the hospital. Yeah. I wound up, I was actually in the hospital itself for two and a half months all in. Okay. Um, and then I was with my parents, I was very lucky in that my parents, I'm um, just like, now they're taking me in. Um, they took me in and created a makeshift hospital. They were able to release me to my parents and they set up a makeshift hospital room in their, in like their living room. And so I just took over that mm -hmm. space and we had a hospital bed. We had like wheelchairs, the whole nine. Um, yeah, but that I was in the hospital for about two months, unable to walk. They told me that I would never walk again. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't feel my body from the rib cage down, unfortunately. So it was, um, wow. yeah, it was a very scary time. And you have a big family. I do. Yes. I'm one of four children. Mm -hmm. And so they all just pitched in. And, and They were incredible. Yeah. My older brother had just, had just started um, getting his MBA at Columbia. Um, my little sister was in college. Mm -hmm. uh, she was in her junior year. And my youngest brother had just started his freshman year of college. Um, and they all were, my, both of my parents took, went on short-term disability at different times so they could take care of me. Mm -hmm. Um, my older brother basically moved back into my parents' house from, cause I, where I live on Long Island, it's like 26 minutes into the city, um, okay. or where I grew up. And so he, he moved in basically with my parents, like, and just was supportive, was there, did everything that he could. My sister, um, spent her entire Christmas break, just like literally taking care of me. Um, my little brother, you know, he's 18 years old. So like, there was only so much that a young man can do. Um, mm -hmm. but my sister was in between, she was about to go to her semester abroad. So she wound up having like two months at home and she just took exceptional, beautiful, kind, loving care of me in this mm -hmm. way. That was so meaningful. Yeah. Everyone stepped up. They really did. They were incredible. Truly. Yeah. And, um, okay. So what was the, the mindset that you had at that time being 24, probably feeling invincible, very controlling of like, this is what's going to yeah. happen. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I, I mean, I, I think at that, that mindset before I was run over, I, your, your insight is a hundred percent right. I did think I was invisible, invincible. I thought that mm. I like, I never really heard no, you know, mm. 24 years old, gal around town, just like, get anything on a, on a, a smile and a wink, you know? Yeah. And I think that I had it in my mind that like everything was always going to be easy street. Like I was mm -hmm. like the world was my oyster and I, and I believed it. So I went from this world of yeses to a world of no and completely out of control, completely um, dependent uh, on everybody else for everything. Like I couldn't, I sounds like such a silly thing to say, but you know, I couldn't even get a glass of water if I wanted a glass of water. I know that sounds like no, when I can get up and get myself a glass of water, I like really am so grateful. I'm like, this is the best. Like <laughs> it, it's, it's an amazing thing to be fully dependent on other people for mm -hmm. all of your needs. Yeah. 
huge wake up call, I'm sure. Oh, big time, absolutely. Understatement. But so then you're living, you're living at home for about a year and then things, how did you transition back into any kind of normal life after that? Yeah. Um, slowly, Mm -hmm. really slow. Um, at first I, the first thing that I did was at first I, I lived like I was going to die tomorrow. I was reckless. I was out every night until three in the morning. I was Mm -hmm. doing everything and everything. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get enough life. I just felt like I needed to consistently be at the well of life and doing all of the things. And I wanted everything in fast forward. I was aggressive. I was reckless. And I was pretty sure that I was going to die. Mm. I, I was almost absolutely convinced that my life was going to end within the year. For sure. Because I was like, God missed me once. He's coming back. Yeah. Okay. So you thought not from the accident, but in some other way you would somehow yeah something else would happen like that that's something either whether it be repercussions from the accident or 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 something else i just i didn't think that i was meant to be alive mm-hmm. um and i felt like i was living in a limbo i think for a long time and then i was like okay i'll just do the stuff that i'm supposed to do but like not exactly a lot not not 100% alive and and like a but a certain percentage like dead in a way of just being like, yeah, it was, it was very wild. It was like a very, very wild period of time. And I just wanted more because I was sure that it was going to be snatched from me at any time. Okay. So operating in like manifestation talk, I guess it's yes. on really, really tight to everything. So coming from a place exactly. that, of, um, no oh, fear sounds like totally. Oh my gosh. Terrified. Because I think that I had tried, I had done all the right things, right? On the, on the front end, mm-hmm. I had been a careful planner. I had been a good girl. I had been yeah. a good daughter, a good friend. I'd followed all the rules and I still got run over by a truck. Yeah. And so like, okay, what if I just pull the rubber band a different way and let it stretch mm-hmm. out as far as it can and then sort of see where I end up. And, um, and that I just didn't care. I, I would cross the street without looking like in New York city. I'd be like, cool. Doesn't matter. Damn. It's crazy. It was, it was so crazy. Yeah. But it makes sense. I mean, with any trauma, I'm sure, you know, our brains try to make sense of things, but it's almost, did you feel like if I've already been at that level, like it can't go any more, it can't get worse than that. Right. Absolutely. Exactly. That was it. I wasn't afraid of dying anymore. Like I was, I was aware of it. I, I wasn't afraid of pain because I, I've, um, I wasn't afraid of pain and I wasn't afraid of dying. I, I just kind of was like, I, I have no control. Like, I just was like, yeah. there are no, there's no control. So why not spin out? Mm-hmm. And, um, I think the first time that I started to really care again was I went out for a walk and I was in a new relationship and I was starting to fall in love. And I suddenly was like, I, and I crossed the street, I was on a walk and I crossed the street and I almost got hit by a truck and only missed me by a couple inches. Oh my god! Um, because they like hopped the curb, like whatever it was, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh no, I, I want, I want to like." There's more that I have to give. Not, not that there's more life to be lived, but like, I owe the world something. So I kind of need to be, stick around and I need to be thoughtful mm-hmm. with the way that I'm living because, like, yeah, I'm okay with dying, but I'm also, I think that there's a gift here that I should share. So you had that 
after the hospital, after that year, this is, mm -hmm. so that realization yeah. came afterwards. And you do talk about in the book and I just, I can, because you know, you were, you were such, um, you write in such a descriptive way. I felt like, oh. you know, we were just all there with you and I, and <laughs> dad would pop the champagne all the time and, yeah. you know, and just celebrating all these moments. So it seems like after the fact, after you're then walking again, able to function, that's mm -hmm. when it clicked for you that you, you really wanted to give back and like really yeah. fully. Okay. Yeah. And I think understanding, understanding that it was, understanding that this was a gift versus it was not, not a gift, but like being also being really conscious that there were so many people who didn't get that opportunity, right. that there are people who have, who have died and didn't get so lucky. Like, how dare I be wasteful? Yeah. And, you know, and thinking of it as really of, of being like, there's this quote that I love, which is the, um, the purpose of life is to find your gift. The meaning of life is to give that gift away. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, something that I realized was like, while I was in the hospital, all that I wanted was a, was a book or something. I wanted a story that spoke to me that made me feel less alone and I couldn't find it. So I wrote the book I wanted to read. Mm -hmm. Um, and I started writing when I was in the hospital and, um, and at first it was just like journal entry. Yeah, please. Oh, so you, when you, you, um, when you started writing in the hospital, was it more of a journal type of thing or did you have the vision that you wanted to write a book? I think it was more of a journal thing, but then as time went on, I was like, oh, this, like, this could be something that's interesting and help potentially helpful for other people. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that became something that I was really, really aware of, which was a really great thing. And it, but it took me a while. It took me, um, cause I kept, I wrote like for throughout that year. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but it took me a long time to like believe that it could be a book or that, it, that anybody would be interested in reading it other than like me, you know? Right. <laughs> um, but yeah. it was a beautiful catharsis, but also I was mm -hmm. hopeful that it would be helpful. Okay. And then you continued on. So you just came out with the book, what, three years ago now or mm -hmm. yeah. years ago. And so yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. So you had 10 years in between. Mm -hmm. so <laughs> yeah. How the hell do you write a book? First of all. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. You're that. I honestly, like my process was, it was when I was in the hospital, I like got a, um, a used laptop that was my godfather's son's. Mm -hmm. And I just started typing um, and just kind of like typing out feelings, but understanding, I think that was a lucky thing about having done stand up is that I understood things as like sets yeah. of being like, these are just vignettes. These are like, I'm not going to put the pressure on being like, this is a whole book that I have to write, mm -hmm. but I can write a chapter at a time. Right. Yeah. Um, and I just found things that I thought were interesting or funny or um, moving or meaningful. And, um, and I started writing then. And then when I started, when it got back to work, um, I, I had to do this like in tandem with, with my day job working in finance. So I would get up in the mornings at five, I would write for two hours, shower, get ready, get into work by like eight fifteen. Um, I would edit during my lunch hour and then I would write from, I get home by like five thirty or so, and then write for another three or four hours. And I did that for years. Um, oh my God. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I like told some people, but I was sort of embarrassed about it. I, I wound up like I wrote the book. I think it took me a year all in 
just a little bit over a year to write it while doing it in tandem with like working. Okay. And then, um, and then there was the process of like editing. Mm-hmm. So I was able to hire an editor who helped me a lot. Um, and then, um, and then the book got rejected so many times, like so many, an ama- like wow. a shockingly yeah. amazing number of times, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of incredible. 125 times, I think. Wow. That I got rejected. Yeah. And you would physically send it in the mail. So the process is like mm-hmm. manuscript. Yeah, you send exactly. You send a manuscript and you send like a couple of chapters. Um, I'd okay. send like the first chapter, an outline, and, you know, with like being like there's more if you're interested. And mm-hmm. I did tell some people, but not a lot, um, because it can be scary to tell people your dreams, right? What were you afraid of the most? And that people would say, like, I wasn't a writer, you know, like, why are you, you know, the, even now it's hard for me to believe that that's true. Um, of being like, uh, I think probably that I was afraid that people would be like, what hubris, you know, to say that you're a writer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that was something that scared me. Mm-hmm. Did you have any proof? Did people ever say that to you? Like, even with comedy. I mean, that's, Oh yeah, totally. All the time. People would say that that's, that's the thing about, uh, I think about like carving your own path, right. Mm -hmm. Is that when you are saying, I believe myself to be worthy or I I have a dream and I'm willing to invest my time, effort, and energy into trying to make that dream happen. People are surprised at it because surprised or agitated or um, envious. or just judgy, envious. Yeah, exactly. Judgy because they're not doing that. And that yeah. you t- saying that you want something makes them think like, how, like, I want to be a writer. I like, how, why do you get to do this? And why not me? Yeah. And then they get angry at you for it. Yes. And so, yeah, that's a huge one. And it, it's confusing because you think it's about you. Mm, I know. Right. right? At that time, especially being mid twenties, you know, I know. And- into having big dreams. Yeah. So you kind of kept it a secret. Yeah. And then totally. the people that you did tell, were they excited? Did you have good support? Did your family know? My family did know. They were very supportive, especially because of the idea of the catharsis piece of it. Yeah. I think they were really, really conscious that like, I will say that I think that the reason why I was able to process everything in the way that I've been able, that I did mm-hmm. is because of having been able to go through that process. And I think that um, when I explained it as the idea of like wanting to help people, like the end game was never to be a bestseller. It was never to like, you know, even I call it hood famous. Like when people know that you've written a book, like I'm like, obviously this isn't for like riches here. Um, but, uh, but of like, they, they were like, if the idea that it could help other people, then yeah, absolutely. Um, and that was, I think the most helpful piece was just that it was like, this is just because you have got a story to tell that's hopeful and helpful mm-hmm. and honest. And yeah. like, you know, I was, I'm, I'm a perfectly nice girl, but I was selfish and I was unkind and I was mm. uh, rude and, and, and self-involved and, and like, you know, there were good parts. Like I wound up, everything turned out like, you know, I think I, I turned into a person that I like being, but like mm-hmm. so naive. So um, also really sheltered and really lucky and like super blessed in so many different ways. Um, and being aware of that and like putting that out there, it's, it's very, it's a lot of vulnerability. And also it's a lot of clarity around my own family of like them having their story put out there too. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but friends were really supportive. Family was really supportive. Everybody was, was incredibly kind. Like I was very, very lucky in that way. Mm-hmm. Did you have like, when you, did you, what did you imagine when you're writing this every day for a year and many years, mm-hmm. did you ever imagine speaking on stages or having it published and, you know, on a bookshelf and people are sending pictures? I saw this, you know, the, yeah. I mean, what, what was your vision because I know you're big on manifestation and visualization I'm assuming anyway you know yes a big dreamer so yeah what kind of things did you picture and then also oh gosh and yeah I think like I I don't even I don't even know like that's such a great question I'm trying to think I think that like I had hoped that I would be able to like be I really like I did say many years ago like I'd love to be a motivational speaker and a life coach. Mm. I would love to be able to like help and support people. Um, I did not, I like the first time that I saw my book on a shelf, I just wept. Like I could not believe it. I, I couldn't, I just couldn't. Um, yeah. And I think that like I had dreamt about the idea of maybe seeing somebody reading it on the subway. That was like my biggest dream was like, if I saw somebody reading my book, like on the L train, I will absolutely just like lose my mind. Yeah. And, um, and that did happen. And it was its own like little tiny miracle, which was so wow. cool. Um, but I don't know that I, the way that the path that I've kind of gotten onto with the speaking, the thing that's been incredible, um, that I hadn't even anticipated and is more beautiful than I, than I'd ever hoped is that a lot of the talks that I'm giving have to do with patient care and patient mm-hmm. experience having the opportunity to speak with medical professionals about like how we can, how we can remember each other's humanity. Um, and also to inspire and not inspire, but like to reinforce that these medical professionals are heroes. They are magical unicorn human beings who are, who we are so blessed to work with and, and to be around. And that has been, I think like the greatest joy and, that and like the truth is is that things are still happening with the book and in life that I still can't believe like that there's um the thing that's the craziest is the book potentially becoming a television show which is just like a really that I still can't like I even say it out loud and I'm like that's a ridiculous thing for you to say outside out loud but um I never would have thought that in a million years years, but yeah oh well you know what that's because you're a gem well (laughs) I mean I just it just makes sense, but I can understand when it hasn't even been something you've thought of. That's the thing is, um, and that's why I'm wondering about, you know, your imagination when you were doing all these things and Mm -hmm. and thinking like, yeah, what if, what if, and then the what ifs have completely surpassed like your, you know, what you dreamed of. Yeah. That's absolutely blown them out of the water. Yeah. What does that mean to you? What does that prove to you or show you? I mean, now as a life coach, especially when you're working with- Yeah. That is such a great question. I think that what that proves to me is like, is that sometimes you have to make no your favorite word of just like being like, okay, you're going to tell me no, like I have a way to transcend that or I can figure out a workaround that truly in so many instances, not all, because that's, that's not completely fair, but a lot of the times when there is a will, there is a way. Mm-hmm. And when you believe something, it doesn't matter what the rest of the world thinks. It doesn't matter if, you know, somebody tells you that's ridiculous and that you'll never, what you're hoping for will never happen. Or, mm-hmm. 
or like, it's too hard. The market is too saturated. Yeah. You aren't that interesting. I mean, like the, the, the rejection letters that I got from the publishers were things like, this story is not very interesting. You're a bad writer. Like it was just wow. like, but I was like, yeah, I think that, yeah. I mean, of being like, if you choose the right people to be in your tribe mm-hmm. and the people to support you who matter, like you, you have an unbelievable opportunity to really, to write your own story and, mm-hmm. and to, to figure out what it is that you want from your life. And, and as long as you're resilient, there's very little that can stop you. That's amazing. Yeah. And we hear these stories a lot about people starting businesses or putting themselves out there, you know, with any kind of creative project, especially, and just being so focused on getting it out there. But at the same time, I can't imagine, I mean, 125. I know. (laughs) I think I got five or 10, you know, during college. And that was brutal. Yeah, exactly. And that was like heartbreaking. Totally. There was one time and I remember I was, I was on the Long Island Railroad coming from the city to go and visit friends or something. And I had just gotten another one over email and I was sitting on this train and I was just crying, like just weeping. And this lovely stranger woman came up to me and she was like, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever this is, it's going to pass. And wow. you're going to be okay. And I was like, that's so it's so true. Wow. And I, yeah, it was so sweet. And I think like, also like with the work that you're doing, like, I think that, that your mission is to help people, right. Mm-hmm. To help them carve their own path. And when you understand your mission, it, it transcends the other stuff. It's true. It becomes yeah. like, if you understand your why, then you won't ever stop fighting for that. Why? Yeah. And for was, me, like the, Yeah. I was going to ask you what your why was. (laughs) Yeah. I think my why was, was the idea of like, if I can make one person in the world feel a little bit less lonely and they're hurt Mm -hmm. and their pain and that they feel seen and heard and that they know that, that they've been in like darkness, but that light exists, Mm -hmm. if they're willing to fight for it, then, then my, then like my day is done. And I've been lucky enough in that people have reached out and sent, um, a lot of people actually who have been run over by their own trucks, whether mm. they were literal or, um, or, or figurative. Right. Yeah. And I've just being like, it just told me that, that there are ways in which I can overcome this. And that, that has been so gratifying and, and really feels like such a blessing. Now you're the authority. Yeah, exactly. You know? This is how you do it. This is how you do it. This is, this is it. Handbook. And that's the thing about exactly. it you know, and then a TV show as well. Um, Exactly. So you're speaking on stages. I mean, that sounds terrifying, but at the same time, (laughs) I did see you speak actually when you first were releasing the book. Yes. Yeah. Like just kind of inching, inching out, you know, into the world in that, in that way. And since then, I mean, three years, it's been incredible, the journey. And I love following your journey and so speaking, is that something like your, your sweet spot? It gives me an unbelievable amount of joy. Yeah. Like it feels like I love it. I feel so grateful that people are willing to hear me talk. Like it just feels like unbelievable that anybody would, would be like, I will pay you money to talk about yourself. I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> I do it for free. Um, but it, it has been um, the idea of being able to, to speak to people and hopefully to just remind them about their own strength that like, there isn't anything special about me. 
Like really, there isn't anything that, that makes me different than anybody else. It's just about, about trying to, to share the story of, of like, of what can, what you can overcome if you put your mind to it. Because the truth is, is like every time that you're brave, you're able to, to transcend whatever it is that that's happening in your world and in your life. And, and it's almost like your responsibility to share with other people. Like every time that you put together this podcast, like you are being so brave and you're making yourself vulnerable and you're making other people's lives better. Like that's, that's incredible. And, and I think that with the speaking, it's been a great gift to just to give people the space to like see something that happened to me. And then also the greatest thing is that they'll share their story then, which is so stinking cool. Yeah. That is really cool. the things they've overcome, which is really neat. Mm-hmm. Have, and do you do Q and A's at the end usually? Or something like I do. That? Yeah. Yeah. It's the best. It's so great. Like usually there'll be 15 minutes for the Q and A and then it winds up going like a half hour. It's like yeah. my favorite. It's just wonderful. That's so cool. So, so cool. It's so cool. And yeah. yeah. And sometimes it won't even be questions. They'll just be like sharing about themselves and it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing. That's so cool. And the, I love talking about clarity because mm. it's difficult for a lot of people, um, including myself as well. And I think, so in, so writing the book, can you remember the moments of clarity that you had that you were like, I'm going to make this into a book. And then once you made that decision, can you remember making that decision in general of like, you're going to make this book no matter what mm. you're going to publish it. I knew that. Book. Yeah. I think, I think I knew that I would, I'd probably say like it was the winter. It was like a few months after the crash and I'd been writing in my journal and I was like, I remember being like, I'm going to make this book and I will figure out a way to get this published. And after the 125 rejections um, and like I had had like kind of a tough interaction with uh, a literary agent where things went a little sideways. And um, I remember just being like, I am tired of this story not being told. I'm tired of it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to figure something like out this will, I'm going to make this happen. And in that idea of making know your favorite word of being like, once I've been rejected 125 times, like what's another couple of rejections? Like I can figure this out. The bar is quite low at this point. (laughs) Um, and so I tried to research, um, and actually it was working with a life coach that helped me to get the book fully published. And I think the, the clarity piece to speak to that is of being like by hook or crook, I'm going to make this happen. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just 10 copies and I have to pay for every single one myself, like yeah. find a book binder, there could be something, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I, I found this company called Inkshares where it was this idea of being like, if you can pre-sell a thousand copies of the book over 90 days, then you'll be able to, um, they'll do the full marketing editing. They'll make it into a beautiful book for you. Um, and then it becomes like something that's in bookstores. And I was like, okay, 90 days. Like I worked in sales. I can, I'm sure I can make something happen. Yeah. Um, and you know, I sent it out to my network and, um, the book wound up getting shared. I think it was like 800 times on like Facebook and Mm -hmm. I was able to sell a thousand books in three days. Incredible. Which was incredible. It was the fastest that it had ever been done by a non-famous person, which made me feel very fancy. (laughs) But I, I think like of trying to, again, like carve your own path of being like, the way that everybody else does it is not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. So how can I figure out, you know, how can I get the, the clear mind of being like, okay, I, I need for this to happen and I'm going to find a way. Yeah. So that was, there was no questioning. That's the key. No, 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Of just believing. And I, I think that that's like also the beauty part of working with a coach like yourself, like of being able to have someone say like, there is no other way, be accountable to me, right. be accountable to yourself. We're making promises that, that you need to make so that you can kind of move forward in a way that, that matters, right? Mm-hmm. It's so easy to just not put yourself out there, obviously. I know. I and know. Then, but you're such a great example of someone who really did, clearly, and then it's just been, it's the domino effect. I mean, it's just opened up a million doors for you. Um, the courage as well. So where did that come from? To, I mean, to really move forward and put yourself out there in such a way and get on stages and tell your story. I think, I think that it, it's, again, like it probably circles back to the why mm-hmm. of being like, I'm not, I'm doing this, like I'm doing this because I think that it, it has the potential to help people because we need hope. Mm-hmm. We need hope in dark times. I, I think that that's probably like the biggest part of it. And I think the courageous part is something that, that helped me a lot was my parents, you know, they would come and be with me during visiting hours. And, um, I was still hooked up to like a million machines. I was on a ventilator, um, intubated and, um, my mom would kiss me goodnight and say like, I love you so much, you know? Um, and then my dad would kiss me goodnight and then, but he'd linger for an extra couple seconds. And he would say to me, Katie, you have to promise me one thing before I go. Will you keep punching? It's like, I know you are in the fight of your life. Baby girl, you are getting the shit kicked out of you. He's like, but will you keep punching? You don't have to win. Just keep swinging. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where the courage comes from. It's not not from believing that I'm going to win, but I'm going to be scrappy as hell and just not give up and be okay if if it doesn't look perfect, Mm -hmm. but that I tried my damnedest. And I think that that's what's helped a lot is of just being like, I'm going to do my best because my life is incredibly, incredibly short and it's a gift. Yeah. And if I'm going to, to kind of keep the promise that I made to the world that let me live, I'm going to try to make it better for having me in it. And my hope is, is that, and like, you know, again, obviously some attendees of this, of the talks or people have read the books. I've seen the Amazon removes. Not everybody's in love with it, but like, you know, that hopefully, hopefully it's something where, where people are able to to get something positive out of it and that they feel a little bit better after, after hearing a talk or reading a book or um, having a coaching session that somehow or another that, that their life is like just a teensy bit improved would make, it makes me feel like a million bucks and mm-hmm. being courageous enough to try to just put yourself out there. Right. At any moment, because you don't know what will catch. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the coaching, let's talk about your coaching. So do you specify and like work with anyone specifically? I guess are you? Are yeah, you, it's Tracy, yeah. To you? I'm pretty. I'm like super open. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, it's just people who are having um, th- when there are things that feel like insurmountable obstacles mm-hmm. is is kind of like a thing that that I like to focus in on. Yeah. What I've been able to find is that the people who seem to have have the best um, impact with is people who are usually entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. Um, people starting their own businesses more often than not, than not like women, um, young female entrepreneurs. And I like have a, have a really nice, like it's, it's really fun. And it's been an amazing thing to, to watch people with specific goals, be able to achieve them throughout the, the time that we've spent with one another, which is a really lovely, like such an amazing gift to watch someone like have an idea of a business and then launch it and be a part of that just feels like 
Mm -hmm. the luckiest thing in the world. Oh, so good. That's so cool. Yeah. What is next for you on your, on your path? Oh my goodness. Um, well, my hope is just to continue to, to build out the coaching business. And um, once we're kind of like able to, to be in front of and, and speak with people to do more talks, like I've been so lucky. I've um, been invited to be like a panelist on a couple of talks um, like online, which has been really cool. And, um, and yeah, that's just my hope is just continuing to build out and, and hopefully reach as many people as possible to, to help them you know, get the most out of their lives and, and be as joyful as possible. Yes. Yeah. The aggressive chaser of joy. I love that. Exactly. Absolutely. And then lots of sandwich eating, aggressive chaser of joy, yeah. sandwich eater. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keep it simple. And exactly. All day. How can people find your book? And I know you have, you know, an amazing website with everything, but where can they find your book and find you? Yeah, probably the easiest is at Amazon.com. Um, but there, it is in a lot of independent bookstores. It's at Barnes and Noble, um, and yeah, and you can probably find that It'll, happily. It's it's in tons of places, which is good, which is really good. Any digital copies or any? Um, yes, yes, really? there is there. If you're into the the sweet melodic voice, then there is an audiobook that is just your girl, um, okay. and that is done through Amazon. Um, it's on Audible. And, um, and yeah, it's on Kindle or, um, on Google books, Apple books, it's everywhere. So if you want it, it'll be there for you. <laughs> Thank you. And I love passing. I mean, it's the hard copy, but it's yes. and the digital version these days. Absolutely. And I will, um, what I would love to do is I'll send you a couple more for you to pass out. That's very sweet. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. And when can we hear about your TV show? Um, stay tuned. We're still, we're like in the midst of, um, things have sort of slowed interest, not interested, mm -hmm. like just with the way that the world is, but, um, we're hopeful that we'll hear in, in hopefully another couple months. So awesome. yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. It, it, we're very hopeful, but also just like every part of this is, is a, is a surprise delight. So mm -hmm. we'll see. <laughs> That's the best enjoying no matter what, right? Exactly. Regardless, it's a win. Regardless, it's so a win. Cool. Awesome. Well, awesome. thank you for sharing. Thank you so much for having me. This is so wonderful. Fun. And <laughs> yeah, and stay safe up there in the woods. That's thank what I'm picturing. It's like a wood. Yes, absolutely. Yes, it is absolutely very wooded. I almost like want to. I almost want to show you what's what's outside my window. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like it's just just some pretty woods right out here. Oh, very that's a little spooky. That's my, beautiful. my New York city heart is terrified. I'm like, I should be nervous about getting killed in Brooklyn, but I'm always like, no, people get murdered in the country. That's the yeah. way things work. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. I watch way too many <laughs> crime shows anyway. So, oh, ditto. I know. I know. Absolutely. We, yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Well, this is such a joy and thank oh. you for, for your courage and for your bravery and for your vulnerability of putting out this beautiful, helpful content for all of us. It's really inspiring. <laughs> thank you. That means You're a lot. Welcome. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear and want to share your story, or if you know someone you think would make a great fit, you can find me and send me a message on Instagram at where is Willow. I'd love to hear from you. Cheers to carving your own fucking path. <laughs>